0: This morning's reading is titled Vahafta, and it's written by Aurora Levens Morales. Say these words when you lie down and when you rise up, when you go out and when you return, in times of mourning and in times of joy. Inscribe them on your doorposts, embroider them on your garments. Tattoo them on your shoulders, teach them to your children, your neighbors, your enemies. Recite them in your sleep, here in the cruel shadow of empire. Another world is possible. Thus spoke the prophet Roke Dalton. Altogether they have more death than we, but altogether we have more life than they. There is more bloody death in their hands than we could ever wield unless we lay down our souls to become them, and when we, and then we will lose everything. So instead, imagine winning. This is your sacred task. This is your power. Imagine every detail of winning the exact smell of the summer streets in which no one has been shot, the muscles you have never unclenched from worry, gone soft as newborn skin, the sparkling taste of food when we know that no one on earth is hungry, that the beggars are fed, that the old man under the bridge and the woman wrapping herself in thin sheets in the back seat of a car and the children who suck on stones, nest under a flock of roofs that keep multiplying their shelter. Lean with all your being towards that day when the poor of the world shake down a rain of good fortune out of the heavy clouds and justice rolls down like waters. Defend the world in which we win as if it were your child. It is your child. Defend it as if it were your lover. It is your lover. When you inhale and when you exhale, breathe the possibility of another world into the 37.2 trillion cells of your body until it shines with hope. Then imagine more. Imagine rape is unimaginable. Imagine war is a scarcely credible rumor that the crimes of our age, the grotesque inhumanities of greed, the sheer and astounding shamelessness of it, the vast fortunes made by stealing lives, the horrible normalcy it came to have is unimaginable to our heirs, the generations of the free. Don't waver. Don't let despair sink its sharp teeth into the throat with which you sing. Escalate your dreams, make them burn so fiercely that you can follow them down any dark alleyway of history and not lose your way. Make them burn clear as a starry drinking gourd over the grim fog of exhaustion and keep walking. Hold hands, share water, keep imagining so that we, and the children of our children's children may live.
1: Why, why worry? A hymn we sang just two weeks ago asked. Huh, why worry? I wondered. I'm glad you asked, my hymnal friend. And so began my usual dovetail dive into the catastrophic anxiety spiral that often occurs in my mind. My worry list began to form. What's on that list? I hear you all explicitly not asking. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you didn't ask because I'm here to tell you anyway. Did I spell check that last important professional email I wrote? Was that interaction actually super awkward? Do I secretly smell bad and no one is telling me?
2: Is the amount I order from Amazon Prime super ethically problematic?
1: How will climate change directly impact me and the ones I love in the near future?
2: What am I going to do when I finish all 16 seasons of Grey's Anatomy? What happens if I
1: forget to file my taxes? Can I get arrested for that?
2: What does love call me to do, and how do I know when I'm doing enough? And of course,
1: where the heck is the love of my life? Sometimes I make these long, meandering lists in milliseconds. I don't even notice until I feel them weighing down my body, like miniature sandbags falling from the sky and landing on my chest. Just like tiny sandbags, these questions and concerns are unlikely. But somehow, they miraculously emerge, seemingly from out of nowhere. And we've all been there, right? When we start asking ourselves worry-induced questions, the unusual type of question that doesn't inspire curiosity, but rather fear. And unlike most lists I make, like to-do lists or grocery lists, this list does not get me anywhere closer to being happier or more productive at work or making myself tofu for dinner. This isn't the kind of list you pat yourself on the back for when you remember to write it on your iPhone. Rather, these lists lead me to despair. They spiral me into a place where I feel utterly defeated, unmotivated, and overwhelmed. As Marie Kondo might say, they do not spark joy. (laughs) And the deeper I fall into these spirals of worry, the harder it is to climb out.
2: My senior year of high school, and I am filling out my yearbook submission. It asks for a favorite quote. What I want to submit is a quote from Dar Williams, my favorite singer-songwriter, but I am too worried that I will be fulfilling everyone's stereotypes of me. I'm too worried about what other people will think, so I find a bland, vaguely inspiring, Totally unoffensive quote that I feel sort of captures the moment or what I think the moment should be at least and I write in my yearbook submission the quote When nothing is certain, everything is possible Possibility it has such a nice ring to it doesn't it so much hope and optimism captured in it possibility The truth was I was terrified That summer between high school and college, I spent an unusual amount of time at the target return counter. Specifically, I spent time returning bedspreads. Like many 18 year olds, I was shopping for my college dorm room, but I was a year older than my closest friends and I wasn't exactly excited to be leaving home. In retrospect, I had at the time undiagnosed and unmanaged anxiety perhaps fueled by the fact that college loomed large in my head and in the mythos of society. In my own family, my parents had met in college, so I had grown up with stories of college this and college that and oh, we got this coffee table, literally the coffee table that is in my living room in Roslindale in college. And I saw going going away to school as this life-defining, irreversible, all-or-nothing, make-it-or-break-it four years that would shape how the rest of my life would go, and I was frozen. And somehow, all of that worry about my future manifested in my bedspread. It's shallow, I know, but I couldn't get past it. What What if my roommate hates my bedspread, I thought. Really making a worry list, of course. What if my roommate and I don't get along? What if I don't like the bedspread forever? Really wondering, of course, what if I make irreversible choices now that shape the rest of my life? What if I choose the wrong bedspread? Really wondering, of course, what if I chose the wrong school or the wrong major or the wrong life path? Mostly wondering underneath it all, What will the future hold, and who am I becoming? In the end, I picked the most boring, safe bedspread I could find, plain blue. It was unoffensive, but it wasn't joyful or fun. Sometimes the worry about the big things manifests itself in the small things, right?
1: The other week I saw one of my favorite authors speak in Cambridge. The author in question, Jonathan Safran Foer, had literally that day released a new nonfiction work on climate change and the importance of individuals' personal sacrifices in consumption to combat the climate crisis. Although he mentions that corporate carbon emissions and deficient climate policy are also to blame for climate change. His thesis implies that individuals need to make personal sacrifices immediately to ward off what he continually painted as climate doom. Now, friends, unlike New York Times bestseller Jonathan Safran Foer, I am not here to constantly remind you of your unique responsibility in saving our planet, because I don't want to be a bummer. And I get it. Like me, Jonathan Safran Foer is a Jew, and worrying is basically part of our dharma at this point, but come on. (laughs) On that evening, all this anxiety was seemingly all that was on his agenda, and so my worrying mind began creating lists once again, but this time environmental apocalypse themed. (laughs) But on this evening with Mr. Foer, I stopped myself from making my internal list of scary hard questions and got up, still a little scared, to ask him a hard question. As a young person and a person that works with high school students, I said, I see how much deep anxiety there is around climate change for all people, but especially young people, and I know firsthand how paralyzing this worry can be. But I also know from the work I do with local youth climate movements that joy and hope are integral to winning this fight to save our planet. I went on to ask him, how do you personally find the hope and joy within this work? And friends, I wish I could tell you that he said something inspired. Uh, but alas, this is not how this story ends. Mr. Fowler said a great deal in response to my question, but the essence of his answer was, I am not a very hopeful person. I think despair is a good enough motivator. Sometimes anxiety is all we have. To which I said, to myself and not to him because he is very famous and I respect him, you, sir, are wrong. (laughs) But what if he's right? (laughs) I could already hear my worry list beginning anew. What if this is it? What if anxiety is all we have? But then I think of sunrise the wonderful, grassroots, youth-led climate justice movement that has inspired me to join an army of young people to fight for our future. I think of the joy that that community has inspired within me through singing together and being playful, even in the face of environmental catastrophe, and how that joy has allowed me to find hope and take action. I think of my housemates, who bless me with the simple pleasures of delicious food and kind reassurance who always demonstrate curiosity, even after the longest days. And I think of you all, dear UUAC community, who uplift me every Sunday. I think of the young people in SYG, Reverend Heather and Reverend Nathan, and all of you who inspire me with gratitude and resilience within the deepest parts of my soul when I need it most. I find that most often, the unknown turns to worry when I feel isolated. While, when I'm in loving community, possibility more often turns to curiosity. And when I feel held and seen by my communities, and also I'm seeing my therapist regularly, my mind stops rushing to the worryless and anxiety, and I see beauty in all that suddenly feels possible.
2: This past June, my partner Ian and I adopted two 11-week-old kittens. And all summer, we've been watching them grow, getting to know these companions who we anticipate being part of our lives for years to come. And I'm so struck by how these two cats, littermates, have such distinct personalities and preferences and behaviors. How they can observe the same thing, say the toddler or the vacuum cleaner or a broom or a tall person or anything, and have radically different reactions. Phoenix tends to approach these new experiences with openness and curiosity. He'll trot right up to a new thing to check it out, zooming up to the top of the cat climb as soon as it was installed. And this is a trait, of course, that can get him into trouble, too. Last week, he fell into a bathtub full of water... And before we could even make it to the bathroom to rescue him, we just caught a blur of soaking wet, humiliated cat running across the living room. And on the other hand, his sister, Sparrow, is much more reserved, fearful at times, retreating to a safe distance when she isn't sure of something, needing to be reassured that it is okay to approach, coaxed out a little bit more to see what's going on, She chooses, she needs to be confident that she will land the jump before she will leap. She needs much more positive reinforcement, but she's actually the cat that I think of as the braver cat. Where her brother is more brazen, she is nervous but tries it anyway. And I think of these two cats when I think about the spectrum of how we can respond to the unknown, to the possibilities that life presents us with. Is the unknown something to be worried about? Something overwhelming and scary? Something that poses a threat? Or are possibilities something exciting to be approached with curiosity and openness? I know in my own life, with different things and at different times, I have very much lived in both of these relationships to possibility, the worry and the curiosity, the doom and gloom predictions of the future or the idea that another world could be possible. In our reading
1: today, Puerto Rican Jewish author Aurora Levins Morales writes, Say these words when you lie down and when you rise up, when you go out and when you return, in times of mourning and in times of joy. Inscribe them on your doorposts. Embroider them in your garments, tattoo them on your shoulders, teach them to your children, your neighbors, your enemies. Recite them in your sleep. Here in this cruel shadow of empire, another world is possible. When you inhale and when you exhale, breathe the possibility of another world into the 37.2 trillion cells of your body until it shines with hope. Then imagine more. There's a game we play with the children at Row Camp, a UU community that I, Reverend Heather, and many young people in this congregation know well. The game is called The System Is Broken, Another World is Possible. In this activity, we ask campers to brainstorm every problem in the universe from hot-button issues such as there not being enough, a good enough cookie to cream ratio in an Oreo to the unfair impacts of sexism on little boys and little girls. But the best part of this game is the second part, in which we ask young people to propose solutions, both comprehensive and not so comprehensive. Between the back and forth of semi-plausible policy proposals and euphoric utopia musings, laughter begins and joy is born. Their optimism is bold and daring and often outright silly. But when has any important political, social, or societal change not at once, at one point or another, been seen as bold or daring or silly? Slowly, I witness the tiny metaphorical sandbags leave each child's chest and ascend back into the sky from whence they came. It's truly radical to see these 8- to 10-year-olds consumed by a sense of agency and power, two feelings that, unfortunately, adults rarely allow them access to. Empowerment stokes a fire within them and gives them permission to be bold. And in these moments, possibility prevails. Take that, Jonathan Safran Foer. <laughs> in the moments of unknown, instead of making the worry list, instead of turning to fear, We can choose to change course to curiosity, especially if we do it together in our families, in our communities, in our church. We can boast in the face of the unknown and remember that we too are great unknowns, beautiful and full of potential. We can say these words when we lie down and when we rise up, in times of mourning and in times of joy, teach them to our children, our neighbors, our enemies, recite them in our sleep, another world is possible. We can imagine big, and then we can imagine more. We can ask ourselves, why, why worry? And make lists not of fear, but of curiosity. When we live within curious possibility, we live for one another. Staring it in the face, we can see all that it could be, but we are not afraid. We call the person whose messages we've been avoiding. We make the doctor's appointment we have been too anxious to do anything about. We tell the people who we love that we love them and we do not think twice. We look at climate change and we do not cower in the face of copious carbon emissions, but instead lift our voices together and advocate for the water we drink, the air we breathe, and the places we call home. We do not succumb to the paralysis, but join hands and walk into what is yet to be discovered. We cast away worry and that which creates feelings of isolation, doubt, and distrust, and replace it with all that keeps us together, all that is the spirit of life, all that is this loving community, all that is beautiful, all that is possible. So next time you start to make the worry list, or you start talking to a famous yet deeply pessimistic novelist, remember that another world is possible, It starts with
2: you. It starts with us. Another world is possible. Say it with me, friends. Another world is possible. I think that sometimes when we think about the suffering of the world, systems of oppression, climate change, wealth inequality, racism, it can bring up so many feelings of worry for us, worry about what these things cost us, Worry about how to address it, worry that it might cost too much to heal these harms, worry that we might do it wrong. And that can be hard, and that can make it hard to think about them because that can be very painful. We can look at the future at the world that is becoming with these two orientations to possibility worry or curiosity. We can worry about how we will build this new world in a fair and equitable way. Will my job be threatened if we open borders? Will our schools lose their quality if we change the way we fund school districts? How will I know that my children will be taken care of if we increase inheritance inheritance taxes? Will I be able to afford groceries if gas taxes go up? Or we can approach these same issues with curiosity. What would
1: it look like to live in a world without the violence of policing?
2: What would a society with guaranteed minimum income look like?
1: What if all our infrastructure was fossil fuel free?
2: What if no one ever had to come out because we all understood gender and sexualities as beautiful and fluid? And sometimes, though, when I'm in my best, most grounded place, I am able to look at these questions at what will happen in the world and in my life and in the lives of people I love from a place of curiosity. And I think it is a spiritual practice to choose to orient our hearts toward curiosity. Curiosity can be an act of faith to declare that we do not have to have the answers to start asking the questions, to start imagining another world to start exploring the possibilities. So friends, let us orient ourselves with curiosity toward the possibilities for our own lives, for our communities, and for the world that our hearts know is possible. May it be so, and amen.